This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So this morning, we are in Above the Noise. I'm going to give you a quick little recap. In week one, we started this thing, the whole idea of this series is for us to rise above the noise of all the crap that's going on in our lives and to be able to hear the voice of God, right? That's, that's sort of the idea, rising above the noise of everything else that comes in and clutters and clouds all that stuff and for us to hear the voice of God. So in week one, that's where we started. We started with hearing God. How do you hear God? How do you put yourself in a posture to hear the voice of God? And so we talked about how God speaks through scripture, uh, God speaks through prayer, God speaks uh, through worship, But we also said, you know, God speaks through relationships. God speaks through conversations. God speaks through nature, you know, going on a nice walk or whatever. You can see the glory of God and have a conversation with him. What it's more about is having our heart posture in a way that we're ready to receive the voice of God, that we're able to listen for it and hear it in that way. And so we talked about that in week one. And then all of these weeks have kind of piggybacked off of each other because this is kind of a continuum of thought broken up over four weeks. So week one, we hit the foundation. You're like, yo, your heart has to be in a posture for you to hear the voice of God. We could talk about all this other stuff, but if your heart's not in the right place, if you're not susceptible to the voice of God, then you can do all this other stuff, but it's just, it's just not going to work, right? Because the first thing is you got to turn your heart and make your heart um, susceptible to that. So week two, we talked about being above, rising above the influences. We said that there's all kinds of stuff jockeying for the main influence in your life. And they're not necessarily bad things, They're just not the best thing, right? We talked about how our family or work or whatever, our finances, all these different things can come in and be the main driver behind our decisions and our reactions and our our intentionality and all this stuff can be directed and guided and led by these other things rather than being guided by God. And so he said, so how do we make this happen? And we looked at, uh, what was it, Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, is that right? Does anyone know? No, none of you were listening. Cool. Matthew 6, 33, uh, I believe it was. You can check me. Let me know later if I'm wrong. But it talks about, um, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And we said, you know, put Jesus at the center of everything. Rather than putting him first on the list where it's Jesus, then your family, Jesus, then work, Jesus, then all this, that, that's problematic and, 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 and impractical. But if you put Jesus at the center of your orbit or, like, at the center of the spoke of your wheel and you put Jesus in your family, Jesus in your work, Jesus in your hobbies, Jesus in your relationships, it changes everything, right? And so it's kind of shifting that up, and we talked about rising above the influence and making God the number one influence in your life. And then in week three, which was last week, we talked about margins. We talked about creating space to hear God. We said oftentimes we can't hear the voice of God because everything else is making so much noise. And we never take the opportunity to just say shut up to everything else so there's enough quiet that we can hear the voice of God. And so we talked about establishing margin in our time, a margin in our finances, margin just in our schedule, all kinds of things. Talking about creating a space where we can be a human being, not a human doing. Right? And that was the challenge. We said take five minutes a day this past week and be a human being. Don't do anything. Don't create anything. Don't be busy with anything. Just be. Create some margin in your brain and in your heart, in your time, in your life. And so we talked all about that. And then today, we're going to kind of land the plane, close up the thought with this idea of rising above culture and expectations. 
because culture is going to give us a litany of expectations for us to live into and for us to measure ourselves by and for us to compartmentalize ourselves into. And that's not necessarily the way that God has called us to live. That's not necessarily the way that God has intended us to walk our faith journey. So um, growing up myself, I know I talk about myself a lot in like my middle school, high school, college years, but those were like very formative years of my life and I can get a lot of sermon content out of those. Right, because things were just a little, little bit off the whole time, right? And so it gives some great sort of examples. But in uh, in, in high school, I was sort of um, I don't know a, a strange cookie, I guess. I was a uh, I spent a lot of my time being a square peg in a round hole, right? Like there was just I I, I was I was just I was I don't know I, I was interesting. And you guys are probably like, yeah, obviously, because you're an interesting adult, and interesting adults make interesting teenagers and interesting children, right? Like, it doesn't change. You're just, you're weird, and I, I get that. Okay, cool. I get that. But um, it, it was interesting because my, my parents really enforced in me and my brother and my sister, which if you know all of us, you think we're all weird, you know? They, they uh, which is valid. It's, you know, that's fair. Um, they instilled in us to walk to the beat of our own drum, you know? They, they were always encouraging us to not necessarily just follow the status quo, not just step in line because everyone else steps in line. They're like, no, why, why are you stepping in line? And they encouraged us to be that way, which was really cool. It, it instilled in us, um, all three of us, a lot of confidence, a lot of uh, bravery, a lot of audacity to, to do things and, and, and do this. They encouraged us to be leaders and not followers and all this stuff. And so it was really, really sort of formative for us in our early years that our parents encouraged us to kind of be that way and do that. The reason they did that is because my parents are kind of like gypsies, right? Like, you can't really uh, put them in any sort of category or box because they are, like, certifiably insane as well. And so it's, you know, it's, they kind of handed that off to us. A lot of good came from it, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to that later. That's for my counseling sessions later. Um, growing up, though, I was, I was, like, all over the place. I was, so I was a student athlete in high school. Um, anybody in here student athletes in high school? Okay, yes, some of you. All right, okay. Um, so I played, I played basketball, I played football, I played baseball, I ran track. Uh, this was all like 100 plus pounds ago. So um, people measure their time in years, I measure it in pounds. I was like, yeah, that's like 100 pounds ago, I did all those things. Um, but I was a student athlete, and then I was also in concert orchestra. Anyone in concert orchestra in high school? Okay. I played percussion, so... I was like, uh, I played the timpanis and like the bass drum that you had to like, boom, boom. And it took like your whole body to do, you know. Uh, played the bells and the xylophone and the chimes. Or at Christmas concerts, I was the kid, you know what I mean? Like the jingle bells when they played jingle bells. Um, so I was in concert orchestra, but then I was also um, in this like other music thing that was uh, the jazz ensemble, you know, jazz. And I'm not talking like jazz ensemble, I don't mean that. I mean, like, I played bass guitar and drum kit in the jazz ensemble, so we were playing, like, Watermelon Man and different, like, tunes from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, stuff like that. Um, and so I was, I was involved in that in high school, but then, <laughs> but then I was also involved in a, I played in a punk rock band, okay? Did any of you listen to punk rock coming up? Okay, you spell the R-A-W-K, right? Punk rock. Um, no? No. <laughs> um, I, and I've, I've shared this before, being totally transparent. I spelled my name for a long time, S, anarchy sign, M, because I was that punk rock, right? Like, that's, that was it. And so I had, like, the colorful hair and the face piercings, and uh, they do grow up. So if your kids are in that phase, it, it, you, they can come on, out on the other side of it. Uh, you know, wore tight T-shirts, 
chain wallets, Jinko jeans. Can I get an amen on Jinko jeans? Yes, anyone know what Jinko jeans? Am I dating myself? Okay, yes. All right, we got some Jinko jean wearers. Excellent. Um, and so, yeah, I, I fell into that sort of um, realm as well. But then I also had, I was like really cool and tight with like all the stoners at my school. Um, if you don't know what that is, ask someone later. Um, but I was really plugged with like the stoners. I got really into like jam band culture. Does anybody know what a jam band is? Like fish and string cheese incident and you know things like that. So um, and like the summer the summer festival tour like circuit and you do that. I saw Trey Anastasio at uh, the Fox Theater and like it was. I didn't smoke any marijuana, but I think I was high for like three weeks afterwards. It was insane. But it was like I felt like I had achieved. Uh, am I allowed to say that in church? Keith, am I going to get in trouble for that? Am I good? I'm, you know, okay. He's like, I don't know, man. I don't know, whatever. I ain't going to tell nobody. Um, appreciate that. Um, but through all this, you know, I, I was, I got into that, so I was in that whole thing. But through all of it, there was this common thread that I was super involved in youth group. And I was super involved in church the whole time. Like, I was on student leadership teams at church. I played in the worship band at church. Anytime there was an event, I was there early, uh, seeing what I could do to help. I was, like, shadowing the youth pastor and helping them out and anything and everything I could. So much so, I started my own youth group in 11th grade, which many of you guys know this story. And now that you know a little bit about my past, you know why I called it Stoned, was the name of our youth group, uh, surging toward our never-ending destination. Okay, it was an acronym. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. And we met at the joint, right? And we passed the pot for offering. Eh? See what we did there? Um, I actually have it tattooed on my back, unfortunately. Um, it says stoned in jersey letters across the top of my back. Isn't that cool? Wasn't that an awesome 18-year-old decision that I made? Really cool. I take my kids to the pool, and I'm, like, playing with them, and they're like, those poor kids. Jeez. You know? Anyway. Um, <laughs> But I was, I was super into God and church and, and, and Jesus and the whole thing the whole time. Um, but the thing is, in each of those different things that I was involved in, each of those different like people groups and things, there was like a lot of culture and expectation attached to these things. There's a lot of culture and expectation attached to each of these people groups. Each of these different hangouts or interests that I had had culture and expectation. I mean, as I was saying them, many of you were like, oh, okay, I know what he was about in high school. Oh, I know what he, oh, oh, that explains it, right? Because there's culture and expectations attached to each of those things, right, that I found myself involved in. And so, you know, as an athlete, the idea is that, you know, I'm going to get wasted on the weekends and go party and, like, hook up with as many girls as possible in high school, right? That's, that's the stigma. That's the culture. That's the expectation. That's the whatever. In concert band, I don't want to offend anyone, but the expectation was, like, video games and Star Wars, right? And so... Like, you're expect you know, they had, like, fake lightsaber fights on the weekends. I'm like, bro, those are plastic. What are you doing? Right? But there's, like, this culture and this expectation for that. In punk rock, it was like, you know, we do drugs and we, like, fight the man. And it's like, ugh, oi, skateboard, uh, break stuff, spray paint things that don't need to be spray painted. Ugh, buy new Converse and color on them with Sharpies. Ugh, you know? Like, that was, like, the culture, the expectation of, of what went down. With the stoners, it was like you know, patchwork pants and Grateful Dead t-shirts, and we smoke drugs and listen to music, and that's, that's the thing, right? That's the culture. That's the expectation. And then involved in church, and especially many of you know, I've shared before, the church circles that I grew up in, the, the expectation was this, like, holy roller, Bible thumper, completely irrelevant from culture. We wear, um, you know, shirts that have the Coca-Cola logo, but it says Jesus Christ instead of Coca-Cola, 
who thought that was a good idea ever, right? I, I, I don't know. Or we'd wear, like, Fender shirts that say, pick Jesus or say Jesus on it or, you know, whatever. And so there would be that whole, like, subculture that was laced throughout the whole thing. And like I said, my parents were gypsies in, in a sense, and so they never put us into a box, and so it kind of transferred to us. But through all of that, you know, there was a lot of expectation. There was a lot of, of, of cultural sort of norms that people are to sort of abide by and follow in those different people groups, in those different subcultures. And so some of us are the same way as me, right? Some of you are the same way as me. You're very free-thinking and adventurous and, and outside-of-the-box type people, right? And that's cool, that's awesome. But some of us in here are a little different, and that's okay too. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but some of us are more comfortable falling in line, right? Some of us are more comfortable not making ways, waves and, and, and going with the flow. And, you know, boxes are compartmentalized there for a purpose and a reason, and it's to keep everyone safe. And safety is a priority, and safety is important. Where I'm like, oh, ah, jump first, look later, ah! But there's like, you know, there's two differing sort of approaches to life and doing all this. But the reality is, no matter where you find yourself or how, how you sort of, how inside the box or outside the box you label yourself, the reality is culture and expectations and pressure to think and act and live a certain way or another are relevant for all of us. There's an expectation, and you know, if you, if you are the, the, the more type A, organized, whatever, there's an expectation that you're going to respond a certain way and that you're going to do things a certain way and all of this stuff. And so all of this stuff is crazy. Culture is constantly placing pressures and expectations on us, constantly. And it's, but as Christ followers, we're called to live above the noise and live above that noise as well. We're called to live above the culture and the pressures and the expectations of this world. We're called to walk to a different beat. We're called to live a different way. We're called to respond a different way. We're called to be proactive a different way. We're called to do this thing called life a little bit differently, right? And so there's an awesome passage that talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And first I'm going to read it in the NIV because I think it's really powerful. It says, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so this is a letter to the church in Rome and telling them kind of written in the first century. It's part of our New Testament in the Bible. And it's talking here and it's saying, yo, listen, this is a way that you need to approach this fellowship of Jesus thing. This is a way that you need to sort of approach having a relationship with God. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love this passage. I love it. And I use it so much in the way that we communicate here at Central, in the way that we sort of orchestrate things here at Central. It's this idea that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be transformed by these hyper-spiritual, hyper-charismatic worship experiences where we're, ooh, Jesus was there. No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Shift your perspective. A lot of the stuff that can change in our lives and can drastically and radically change the trajectory of our life and the way that we do life is a matter of just renewing our mind about it. It's just a matter of shifting our perspective just a little bit and saying, hey, what, what's God's take on this? How can that shift the way I think about this? How can that shift the way that I approach this? I love what the message version, so there's a message version of the Bible. It's a transliteration, not a translation. It's a transliteration, meaning this dude named Eugene Peterson who was uh, this like, uh, this, uh, like theologian guy, kind of a hippie, he took the Bible and he was like, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to write it in like layman's terms, right? I'm going to make this thing happen. 
okay? And so he wrote the message, and so it says this. This portion of scripture in the message is, is actually pretty cool. I love the way that he expounds that. He says this. He says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops well-informed maturity in you. I love this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't be hanging out with these people and don't be so well-adjusted in culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Don't just do something because everyone else is doing it. You know? Don't just put your kids in front of phones all day because other parents put their kids in front of phones all day. Think about it first. You know? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that, oh, everybody thinks this way, I'm going to think this way. Everybody votes this way, I'm going to vote this way. Everybody posts on social media this thing, I'm going to post on social media this thing. Everybody, he says, whoa, 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 chill, 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 chill. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. He said, instead... He offers something better. Instead, fix your attention on God. Instead, see what he says about it first. See what his sort of way to handle this and go about this first. And then he goes on, he says to all this, and he says, God brings the best out of you. I love that. God brings the best out of you. And we hit this a couple weeks ago, man. Just because you're doing these other things doesn't mean like, oh, you're on a highway to hell. Like, that's not what we're saying necessarily. We're just saying, hey, there's a better way. What you're doing is not necessarily wrong and damnation for eternity and all this crap. Not, we're not necessarily saying that. We're just saying there's a better way to do this thing. And it's by shifting your focus, shifting your perspective, renewing your mind. And so we've gone through this whole process, right? Week one was hear God. Week two is this idea of putting God first. Week three was create space for God to move. Well, this week is more about making a change, a very practical change. Change the way you allow culture and expectation to dictate your actions. Change the way you're living. Change the way you're responding. Change the way you're acting. Change the things that you're doing. Does that make sense? Because for us to live a life that God has called us to live, we have to realize it's very important that our vertical influence is much more important to us than our horizontal influences. Does that make sense? Our vertical connection needs to be much stronger than our horizontal connection. We need to make sure that we are connected to God first and then be part of culture and everything else. Don't fit into culture so much that you fit in without even thinking about it. That you're doing things that you would never do if you actually took back, step back and go, whoa, wait a second, what exactly am I doing here, right? And so I think there's an awesome um, example of this in scripture that sort of travels the whole journey of our entire series with us through this one sort of example. And it's really, really cool. It's the story of this guy named David in the Bible. Have any, how many of you have heard of this guy named David in the Bible? He was King David, and at one point he fought like David and Goliath. Maybe you guys have heard that? Yes? No? Maybe so? Okay, so many of you guys know who this guy named David is. So David, his story is kind of outlined in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to look at uh, the book of 1 Samuel. It talks about it a little bit there. But David was the youngest of eight brothers, okay? David was the youngest of eight brothers, meaning he got the crap kicked out of him all the time, right? Can I get an amen from any younger brothers? 
I don't know. I'm an older brother, so I know that it happens, okay? Um, so no, David was the youngest of, of eight brothers. And in first century Middle East, this means that he has like no authority, no importance. He's way down the totem pole as far as inheritance and responsibility and leadership, all the things, right? He's, he's at the bottom of the totem pole. So we got this guy named David. Now, in the time of David, when David was a young dude, there was this king named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul was the king. Every king back then had a prophet. Everybody say prophet. Okay. Every king had a prophet. Saul's prophet was this dude named Samuel. Anyone who's named Samuel is incredibly good looking and smart. Okay. It's biblical. Just kidding. Saul's the king. Samuel's the prophet. The way that this relationship works is that Saul, the king, is in charge of the people, making the laws, ruling the land, the whole deal. Samuel, the prophet, is like the voice of God to Saul. He's saying, hey, man, I hear what you're doing, but that's not cool. God doesn't, you know, here's God's plan. Let's align these two. Let's make it work, trying to, to balance the whole, you know, religion and kingdom and the whole idea, right? And so this guy, Samuel, who is, who is the prophet, and David's this, like, eighth kid over here, you know, twerp, whatever, Samuel's responsibility was to anoint the next king. And so Samuel goes around looking for who this next king is. God's like, hey, I want you to go here and check it out. So he goes to this house, this guy named Jesse, who is Samuel's dad. And Jesse lines up all of his sons because Samuel said, hey, I'm coming and I'm going to anoint the next king. So let's do this thing, right? And so Jesse lines up his sons and Samuel walks up to the oldest son who is the obvious choice, right? He's the oldest. He's got the birthright. He's got authority, you know, all this stuff. And he goes up and God's like, no, man, that's not him. Samuel's like... No, that's not him. And so then he goes to the next son, and Samuel's thinking, surely this is the guy, right? And God's like, nah, fam, not him either, right? And so he goes down the line, goes down all seven of the kids, and, and Samuel goes to Jesse. He's like, yo, like, you got any more kids? Because I'm not seeing the next king here. Like, God's not, you know, no green light is going off here. God's not, like, giving me the okay on any of these dudes. And so Jesse goes, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I got my, my kid David. He's out in the fields tending the sheep. Like, I didn't think it was very important for him to be here because, you know, he's doing his thing and we're doing our thing and it's obviously not going to be him. And, and Samuel's like, no, nah, man, send for him. Let, let me see him. So David comes in and when he comes in, God's like, yep, that's my dude. That's my guy. And Samuel's like, oh, what? For real? This is my guy? Okay. So Samuel anoints David as the next king, right? While Saul is still the king. David, David, right? Like the, the eighth child, no authority, no responsibility, out tending the flocks while everybody else is having a party, like the whole deal, right? So he anoints David as king. So David is like a shepherd, he's the youngest, whatever. David is also like super good at the harp. How many of you guys play the harp? Yeah, I didn't expect, dude, come on, for real? Girl, that's dope. All right, we know what we're doing for our Christmas lobby music this year. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, I don't even know, is that even how you play the harp? I just... I'm imagining, it's like, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, is it like this? No, I'm really one. it's like, you sit down. Strings and pet, so it's like this. <laughs> cool. I'm ready, I'm ready, put me in, coach, I got it. Um, so David played the harp, and he was really good at it. So Saul, he was like one of the best harpist dudes in like the land or whatever. So Saul is having these like hard time going to sleep, having a hard time, whatever. And so David comes, he sends for David. He's like, yo, I need a musician. David comes, plays the harp, gets really tight with Saul. And so they become like buds, chums, whatever. David ends up being the armor bearer for Saul and all this stuff. So the kingdom goes to war with these people called the Philistines. Say the Philistines. 
yeah, these are some bad dudes, right? So the Philistines and the Israelites are going to war in this story. And um, the, so, so, so David's brothers all go off to war with Saul and all that. Guess where David is? He's back helping his dad tend the sheep because David's not important. Remember, David's like kind of the wuss of, of, of the clan or whatever, or so we think. And so David's doing that, helping his dad, doing all this. And so uh, his dad wants to send some food and some help to his brothers who are out at the war camp at the front lines. And so David goes, and he does that, and he uh, goes to deliver food. Well, while he's delivering this care package, he hears this Philistine champion, right? Like the, the UFC champion from the Philistines, right? Like this bad dude, like, right? His name's Goliath. And he's out there, and he's like, you guys are wusses. I could take your whole army. Let's do this, right? So that he's like talking all this smack, talking all this junk, like, you guys are dogs, so I'm going to, you know, you're going to die. Tell him you're going to die like dogs. You're going to die like dogs. Have you guys ever seen The Three Amigos? Yes? I mean, that is like my favorite movie in the when the El Guapo, he's like, tell us we're going to die like dogs. He goes, oh, you will die like dogs. Yeah, no, no. If you haven't seen the movie, you're probably not going to heaven, so make sure you see it. Um, so Goliath is out there, and he's like, you know, you guys are lame, you guys are the worst, whatever, I'm going to dominate you. And David hears this, and he's like, oh, like, are you guys cool with this? What's going on? How are you letting this guy talk to us, defile our Lord, defile our army, defile our nation? Like, like what, what are you doing? How are you? And everybody's like, bro, you seen that guy? What do you mean? What? Look, what? And everybody's afraid. Everybody's scared. Nobody wants to step up and take care of this thing. And so that's where we kind of pick up the story here where David goes to Saul and he's like, yo, I'm going to take care of this thing. I'm going to take on Goliath. It's not okay that he's talking this smack. It's not okay that he's doing what he's doing. It's not okay that all this stuff is going down, right? And so that's where we pick up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, verse 32. This is uh, David talking to Saul. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And Saul's reply, don't be ridiculous. He's like, bro, you're crazy. Like, come on, quit wasting my time. He says, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Like, this dude is like undefeated in the octagon. You got no chance. You're a harpist sheep watcher. Like, not happening, right? Harpist shepherd, youngest of eight. You got the crap kicked out of your whole life. This guy kicked the crap out of people his whole life, right? Not going to happen. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. Bro, not a strong argument to come out of the gate with, right? <laughs> like, come on, man. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. But then he comes with it. He, he drops the hammer. He says, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Now I think David's just flexing a little here, right? He's like, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. He's like, all right, <laughs> Hope God's with you on this one, homie, right? Like, good, good luck on that. So David volunteers. He, he, he fights his battle. He's like, no, listen, I can do this, man. I can do this. Um, and Saul's finally like, okay, go, I guess, go for it. We pick up in verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two 
to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And so he goes, no, dude, I can do this. I can fight him. I can fight him. And Saul's so like, all right, man, you're going to need God, though, because it ain't going to happen. And he says, now listen, here, take my armor. If you're going to go, take my armor. And so David puts on the armor, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, uh, I don't think this is going to work, man. So he takes it off, puts back on his man purse, right? <laughs> Picks up some stones, throws it in his man purse, and walks away with a, with a, a staff in his man purse. He's like, all right, toodles. <laughs> Going to fight the, the giant, right? Going to fight the Philistine champion and goes off and does this thing. But I love the picture of this paint because I think this essentially takes us through our entire series that we've talked about. And as I was coming across this this week, it was like, man, yeah, this encapsulates everything that we've talked about. David is the anointed king. When Samuel anoints David to be the king, that shifts his heart posture. That shifts his heart posture to where he is in a posture to hear God. He is in a posture to hear the voice of God, because otherwise, why would he do something so crazy as to step up and say, no, this Philistine can't defile God's army like this. So everyone else is freaked out. He's got clarity, because he's hearing the voice of God above the noise, right? And so you have that going on. You have the influences telling him, hey, yo, be afraid of Goliath, right? That is not a smart move. All of his brothers, the whole camps are terrified of this guy. And so all these influences are telling him to do something, but he's like, no, man, my ear is tuned to the heart of God. I, I'm not afraid of this stuff. And then David was available all throughout this process, right? You see him as out in the field tending the sheep. You see him bringing care packages. You see him playing the harp. He's created space to where he's malleable and able to be used by God in any way that he needed to. And then culture and expectation for him is to put on Saul's army armor and go fight the battle, right? And David says, nah, man, I'm good with your culture and your expectations and what you think this should look like. My heart is to the voice of God. I have clarity. I know who God's called me to be and what God has called me to do above all the noise of all this other stuff going on here. I mean, this is a perfect picture of what we're talking about and what we're trying to, 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 to communicate to you guys and, and to us as a church is that this is the way we need to live life. This is the way we need to go about it because it begs the question, you know, how many situations in our life our culture and expectations of the world around us handling us, handing us Saul's armor to do life. And how many areas of our life are we trying to walk through it in Saul's armor when God's never called us to do it that way? God's never designed us to do it that way. God's never crafted and created us to do it that way. And so we're walking through life like, uh, 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 and it's so heavy and it's so hard and it's overwhelming at times because we're doing it in Saul's armor. Our hearts are not tuned to the voice of God. We don't have clarity of what God wants us to do. We're doing what everybody else is telling us to do. Because the noise of everything else is clouding it all up. We're not above the noise hearing the voice of God. Hearing the leadership, guidance, and direction of God. I mean, think about it. In our finances. Saul's armor in finances. What's the world's expectation? What's the world's culture and the ideas for finances? It's, oh, you got to have the newest, you got to have the best, you got to have the brightest, you got to have the biggest. You got to spend, spend, spend. More, 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 more. More, 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 more. I need more. How many more, you know, how many pairs of shoes does Sam need? This is very applicable, I know, kidney punch to myself. He needs one more than he already has, right? How many guitars do you need? One more than you already got. 
How many computers do you need? One more than you already got, right? How many coaches do you need? One more than you have. That's sort of the idea. That's the culture. Saul's armor saying more, 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 more. But what does the way of the Lord say? It says open-handed generosity. It says give. To give is better than to receive, right? We're not called to just accumulate more, 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 and build our kingdom bigger, 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 better, 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 brighter, brighter, brighter. That's, 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 not, that's not the way to do it. But the noise of culture is saying it is, it is, it is, it is, it is. Or how about in our time? Our time management, right? Culture saying more, more. Movement is progress. Movement is progress. Got to be moving. Got to be doing. Got to be involved in this. We got this FOMO thing now that's like a real thing. I'm fear of missing out. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss something. Oh. Right? But it's like, it's like a deal. Like people are like terrified of that, right? Like, come on. Culture says, yo, you got to be in movement. You got to keep going. You got to more forward progress, forward progress, forward progress. But what does Christ say? He says, yo, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Chill. Get into a rhythm. We talked about Sabbath. We had a Sabbath series a few weeks ago that's on our podcast. You know? Take time to rest. Take time to celebrate what God has done. Be still and know that I am God. Saul's armor says, no, man, keep moving, keep moving, keep going, keep going. Forward progress. Chill. Be still and know that I am God. Or how about humility and advancement and all that? Saul's armor Right? The culture and the expectation is advancement. It's promotion. It's step on whoever you got to step on to climb the ladder, to get the raise, to get the better job, to get the higher accomplishments and more authority and more leadership and get bigger, 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 get to, you know, grow the church bigger and bigger and become a mega church and then a bigger mega church and then all this and you'll be famous. I mean, it's a reality. But what 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 does Christ say? Christ says, yo, serve others. Put others before yourself. It's not about self-advancement. It's about serving others. That's one of my favorite memes on the internet, man. It's Jesus breakdancing. You guys seen it? He's like, the son of man did not come to serve, but to be, or didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he's like doing like a windmill. Oh, you got served. You know, no. Am I the only one? That's my favorite. Yeah, you see, yeah, that's a good one, right? (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) But I mean, that's it. Climb the corporate ladder, advance, advance, advance. And Jesus is like, nah, man. It's better to serve. The last should be first, first should be last. The whole deal. You know, Saul's armor says one thing, but the way of the Lord says something totally different. How about love? Loving people. Caring for people. You know, Saul's armor consistently creates an us versus them dichotomy. Consistently. And then each side demonizes the other. Right? We do it in politics. We do it in relationships. We do it in beliefs, systems. We do it all over the place. You know, oh, I love you if this, that, and the other. I love you if you fit into this box. I love you if you line up with my beliefs. I love you if you line up with my politics. I love you if you line up with my college football team. I love you if this, that, and the other. I mean, but, but that's, that's, that's Saul's armor because the way of Christ is, you know, we love everybody. Like unconditionally means without conditions. Like we love you no matter what, always, no matter what. Nothing disqualifies you from the love of God. Nothing should disqualify you from the love of God's people. Right? But how many of us are walking through life in Saul's armor? Uh, uh, you don't believe this? Uh, you can't be part of my church? Uh, you don't believe this? You're not going to heaven? Uh, you don't, uh, I don't love you? Uh. I mean, come on. 
You walking in Saul's armor or are you walking in the word of Christ? We're called to love everybody, always, all people. Nothing disqualifies you from that, nothing. Oh, but Sam, what about that one thing? No, yeah, no not even that thing. Not, nothing. Nothing. If we really aim, if we really aim to yield to God in our lives, we've got to live above the noise. We have to. We have to rise above the noise. We have to create a posture that we can hear God, like we talked about in week one. If we really want to yield to the leadership of God, if we really want to be the people he's called us to be and do the things he's called us to do, we have to hear the voice of God. We have to create a posture that hears God's voice. You can do it through scripture, you can do it through prayer, you can do it through worship, but we have to tune our hearts to the voice of God. We have to tune our ears to the voice of God. We have to hear his voice above all else, above everything else. If we really want to yield to the leadership of God in our lives, we have to live above the influences. God has to be the most important thing to us. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will work itself out. That's important. That's huge. If we really want to yield to God, we've got to hear God. We've got to seek God first. And we've got to create space for God to speak. We've got to create margin in our lives. We have to create some buffer room. You know, we used, uh, uh, when we talked about it last week, we talked about Mary and Martha and how Jesus came and one sister was busy, busy, busy doing so much work for Jesus that she was missing Jesus. But the other sister sat at the Lord's feet and he said, she's chosen what's better. Take some time to sit at the feet of Jesus and just be, just chill. Be still and know that I'm God. Psalm 4610, chill. Create space for that. And then the final step of it is make changes in your life. Make changes in your actions. Don't try to walk through life in Saul's armor. Don't live up to culture and expectations. But with all the stuff that's leaded up to this, hopefully you're hearing clearly the voice of God and you can rise above the noise like David did and said, no, I have clarity in this. I know who God wants me to be. I know what God's called me to do. I know who he's called me to be. And that's what I'm doing. Fortunately, I picked that up early in high school. I wasn't in the womanizing and the drugs and the, 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 the smoking pot all the time, all that stuff. I, that, that wasn't my thing. It just wasn't. Because I had, I, I, probably because I had great kids pastors and youth pastors is what I'm, I'm, I'm giving credit to. Because they helped me to see very early on clarity. Who does God want you to be? That's the most important. Doesn't matter what your friends want you to be. Who does God want you to be? And it's cool and it's fun and it's easy for teenagers to get that. But how about us adults? It's a little different. Who does God want you to be? What does God want you to do? Not what your friends or your work or culture or expectations or your social class or whatever it is, your career path. Not what do they want you. What does God want you to be? Who does God call you to be? What is God calling you to do with your time and with your life and with your money and with your experiences? Those are some big questions. Those are some big existential questions, right? So I've invited the band up here to kind of lead us in another song to give us just an opportunity to start this conversation, right? I don't think that in this next like three and a half, four minutes that you're going to get it all figured out. Oh, I know. I know what to do now. Got, I got it. I got the answer. If you need it, come find me. I got it. I know what's up. I don't, I don't anticipate that to happen, but what I want to happen is that you begin the journey right now. That you take an opportunity this morning to say, yo, some things need to change. I need to shift some stuff in my life, obviously. 
I need to put myself in a posture to hear God. I need to create some space in my life that I can hear God. I need to get rid of some of the influences that are climbing over me to get to the top so that I can hear God. I need to take off Saul's armor of all the expectation for who I'm supposed to be, and I need to be who God, I know God has called me to be. I need to walk in that. And so this morning, I want, I want to invite you to start that conversation. You know, my prayer for you is that you would be able to hear God, that you would establish a heart posture that you can hear the voice of God. My prayer for you is that you would seek God first above everything, that he would be the primary, not the secondary in your life. My prayer for you is to be intentional, to carve out space, to be still, to create margin in your life for God to move. My prayer for you is to follow Jesus, even if it doesn't fit into the box of culture and expectations, but to follow him in the way that you know that he has called you to do so. That's my prayer for you this morning. So let's pray together. God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.